in Omaha, Nebraska. It's time once again for The Other Kind Radio. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. Glad to have you here. Step in. Get a seat. Get comfortable. That's too loud. I'm going to turn it down a little bit. There we go. It's Sunday. We're supposed to be uh, relaxing. I'm sure everybody's got their coffee. Collectively, let's have a drink. Mmm. That's Farm Fresh. It's Farm Fresh because that's where I picked it up. I've started a uh, new routine where uh, on the mornings that we record, I go to this little local uh, breakfast place, and uh, I'm going to start doing that. Routine is important to me. I like having routines, so I went up there and had a little breakfast, a little coffee, and uh, they were nice enough to let me have some coffee to go, which kind of tells you where I rank in this world. So we've got an exciting uh, show lined up for you. We're going to talk about uh, theaters and some some interesting statements made by uh, one of the most predominant directors in the industry. And, um, of course, to help me with all of that, well, we'll bring him in in a second. We'll be uh, uh, Todd. Is, is Todd ready? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, Todd's not ready yet. He's still in hair and makeup. So that'll take a second. Um so while I have you here by, by by yourself, just you and I, um, you know, we've never really uh, gone over like kind of some current events that are going on. And one of them is the Stanley Cup is going on. So I'm sure people from Tampa Bay and Boston and Washington, Pittsburgh and, and Nashville and Winnipeg and Vegas and San Jose are pretty excited. Those games are are in full effect. Um, personal bias, just because I have a good friend that's rooting for him. I'm pulling for Vegas, so uh, go Golden Knights. I don't know if you've ever seen their intro um, at one of their games, but it looks like you're at Medieval Times. There's uh, swords and knights and skating, and it's a little confusing, but but entertaining uh, nonetheless. So... Um, and then the other thing I wanted to kind of go over uh, a little bit was um, some stats and talking about the, the podcast. Things are going really well. Traffic is, is really bumped up. We're really excited um, with the results that we're getting. Our most played track is the Oscar Prediction Results Show, followed by Riverdale, and then the Oscar Prediction Show. So that's some interesting uh, information to kind of throw around there. And uh we're uh, <clears throat> most popular in the United States, but Pakistan and Egypt are close second and third. So, hello, Pakistan. Hello, Egypt. Uh, but all over the place, uh, Georgetown, Ghana, Guyana, um, Philadelphia, Las Vegas, Scottsdale, Ohio, and even Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. So, thank you to all the listeners. We are available on SoundCloud. We're available on iTunes. If you do decide to listen to us on iTunes, feel free to subscribe. It's, it's free. We won't charge anything. Uh, as well as Stitcher. And, and Todd just informed me a minute ago that uh, we're actually um, 
uh, on a lot of other services that kind of feed off of that. And that was news to me. So I'm excited to hear about that. Speaking of which, it sounds like he's getting out of, uh, out of hair and makeup. Let's see if we can, uh, let's see if we can tune him in here. Trying to come in, come in Todd. No, I said hide the gray streak. I don't want to make it predominant. I want it hidden. Hey, Jeff, how are you? <laughs> good. I'm good. Let me. I'm trying to turn that sound effect down, and the soundboard's not reacting. So we're just gonna you know, listen to 15 I, more seconds of that. <laughs> I'm sorry. We, we really need to upgrade our hair and makeup, people. I, it's almost like they treat me like I'm not gonna be seen, oh. and I don't understand it. Well, you know, as they all say, we all have faces for radio, so. And I didn't even get to play the applause. I was going to play it for you today. So there you go. There's live. Yay me. There's live recording. Yay. There's like, here, we'll get the kids to do it. There we go. Thanks, kids. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to the show, Todd. How are you doing this Sunday? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. I was taking a drink of coffee. You got to you gotta work on the, you got to go a little bit longer. Like, well... <laughs> I, I a note to self so Jeff can take a drink of coffee so when I ponder things to myself I, I internalize them I stew them around a bit before right. I hand them back to Jeff mm. perfect or, the, or you... the rule to myself is I need to find a, a breakfast place because I am too Ooh. much the homebody I get up I have my few cups of coffee I eat something and I go okay well what what did what did Todd have to eat today uh, this is where Todd is a boring 51-year-old man. I have high-fiber cereal. I have fruit. Um, occasionally, I'll throw a couple of pieces of low-fat bacon in there, you know, but it's it's Ooh. one of those, as you get older, you kind of got to go, if I put it in, <laughs> I got to worry about what's coming out. So, And there is our uh, digestional, digestive, <laughs> digestive news. Should I say news track? No, that's not right. Okay. Well, let's, uh, we got a lot to talk about, so let's get things rolling here. First of all, um, Todd and I, we took some notes, we listened to some comments and we're not going to try to cover every single aspect of what we're doing. Uh, so now we're just going to do uh, a little segment, uh, uh, every show called Todd's take on. So Todd, what's your take on this week? Uh, AMC's the terror. It's a show that's been on, it's a one season show been on for, I think they're about eight or nine episodes in nearing the end, but you can find this stuff on demand. It is based on the late 1800s journey of a British Royal Navy group as they tried to go up into the Arctic to plot a better course for trade that those ships, no, hang on. What? Those ships vanished and were never found. Oh. And what those and that and they were trapped in the Arctic for over two years. I'm telling you, an amazing show. It's produced by Ridley Scott. Terrifying at times. They were they were hunted by. It sounds crazy. They were hunted by a polar bear, and it it is just it is terrifying. If you if you see the poster for this, it's a man looking with stark terror in his face. It is outstanding. Okay, so is this based on a true story? True story. Oh well, then. <clears throat> On behalf of the other kind radio, Jeff apologizes for snoring uh, in an attempt to be funny <laughs> when actual people were terrified. So I apologize yeah, for Jeff, that. They died. Oh, 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 well, spoiler alert. There you go. Well, no need to watch it now. Hang on. When you when you watch the show, the very first thing they tell you is what this was. They went up there. These ships were lost and never seen again. They tell you that. But the story is what happened to them in the two years that they were there. It is it is terrifying, amazing. It's it's just it's really really well done. We will we will check that out. All kidding aside, um, 
I, th- I'm, I thought it was. I didn't know it was based. I'm feel. I'm a little ashamed of myself. Um, no, I feel, well, Jeff, I, I actually am going to step away and go back to hair and makeup. And when I get a real co-host, <laughs> will they let me know so I can come back out? Wow, that that sounds good. I will check that out. I'm getting ready to take some flights, so I will pop that in and 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 watch it. That sounds. Um, uh, obviously, if you like it, uh, then then it's definitely noteworthy. And really, Scott doing uh, doing television now, huh? You know, he did another thing about the gold rush, and, and I, I've not looked up the name of it, that was surprisingly good. It was on, like, National Geographic, but he was an executive producer, and he, he's telling these dark stories of history. In it. I, oh. As I will often do, like, when I like something like this, I have to know the truth behind it. And you, can, Wikipedia has a great account of all the things that have gone on to this, that how it's become such a famous naval moment that all these people have gone searching for the boats, et cetera, so... <laughs> And I just ruined by by snoring during the description oh, of it. Shut <laughs> up. You didn't ruin anything. <laughs> well, all right. So for those of you that have the time and are interested in ships and missing ships and polar bears, check out AMC's The Terror. Uh, now we'll go to Jeff's judgment on. So Jeff's judgment today is on the new release for the PS4, God of War. Uh, I have a number of hours uh, into it. Um, big tip of the cap and appreciation for the development team that put this game together. Wow. It reminds me of other games that are in my top five, like The Last of Us, um, uh, Event Horizon, or uh, Horizon Dawn. Um, not Event Horizon, that was a movie. Horizon Dawn is up there, and this is very close. It's rich with um, content, and the the missions, you know, as with big sandbox games like that, your, your missions do have similarities but they never get tiresome or overused and the last thing i'll say uh first of all i recommend everybody that has a ps4 and i think todd i may have talked todd into getting a ps4 um uh you need to get it this is a great game this is one that uh will go down in in the history of of well-produced games um, and it's one of the games that uh, we all face that uh, first choice when we start a game. Where they like, do you want to play on wimpy mode or mellow mode or nightmare mode? And this one offers a balanced mode, which I think is just another nice word for wimpy mode. But I'll take balanced over wimpy anytime. And uh, it is very balanced. It's one of the first times uh, in the many years I've been playing video games that you don't just cruise through. And everything isn't uh, like playing Dark Souls. You know, it's um, it's balanced. You've got, you know, enemies that you uh, see and are not that scared of. And then you've got the bosses that you're like, just like, oh, boy. And uh, can can take a couple tries to pass. So just Jeff's judgment on God of War. Go get it. Check it out. If you if you can't buy it or don't interest, aren't interested in uh, actually physically playing it, I recommend watching some other people that are on Twitch playing it because it is a fun game to watch as well. So that's Jeff's judgment on. <clears throat> All right. Getting on to what our main focus is this week uh, is around a little place where people go and they want to be entertained. They want to be able to sit comfortably and watch a story unfold on a big screen in front of them. Um, they want to perhaps get something to drink and something to eat while they're doing that. And um, also want to have it in an environment where they can share it with friends and family if they want to go to uh, with a group. Of course, I'm talking about 
the movie theater and a place that's always been really special to me. Todd has mentioned on the show before that his, his dad would take him to the movies. Um, you know, going to the movies, uh, for me, especially, uh, growing up in the, in the late nine, uh, excuse me, late nineties, late seventies, early eighties was a huge treat. And for me, I bought it all the way. Um, just the atmosphere and, and, and just knowing that you were getting ready to see something, uh, magical, if you will, not to overuse a, a word. So before we get into some of our experiences and stuff, um, a, while, a couple of weeks back, uh, I saw something come across the wire and I immediately thought of Todd and we've, we've been meaning to discuss this with, with you, the kind listener and, and with each other. Steven Spielberg recently commented about um, Netflix, and I'm pulling up the article right here. I don't have the quote ready, um, but basically what he communicated was that Netflix's, uh, here we go, duh, 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 duh. nope, that's Christopher Nolan. I should be better prepared. Here we go. I don't believe this is uh, Steven Spielberg. Uh, quote, I don't believe films that are just given token qualifications in a couple of theaters for less than a week should qualify the Academy Award nomination. And Netflix, as I understand, a couple of their films, including Mud Dog, did get some film time in theaters. But it brings up an interesting question. <clears throat> what makes a film qualify to be Oscar worthy? And I've, I've used enough oxygen. Uh, Todd, please, please get in here and, and, and tell me what, what you thought when you first saw this and what your initial thoughts are. So I've, I've said it at nauseum how much awards already tire me. They make me sick because it's not a true discussion of film. It's, it's the same reason that hall of fames and sports bore me because you put all these things against players. They didn't win a super bowl. They can't go in. That's it's silly. If you're going to talk about the best find, this is what they're best at and, and do it. If you're going to talk about films, let's talk about a number of films at once and say these are the, the achievements in film for this year. So already, I, I, as soon as I saw it, I thought, God, why does this even matter? But I read it and I love this man. This man is one of the reasons that I went on to get a degree in film, that I studied it. You know, he was a hero of mine. And all I could think was, Mr. Spielberg, you've lost your way. Huh. Because... He wants to talk about that he he doesn't think be simply being in a number of, of theaters for a short amount of time should qualify you for it. So already there's a problem. If you look at the Oscars, they a feature length must be at least 40 minutes, um, upwards of 90 minutes is uh, the shortest best film that's ever won, which was Marty. But they have to run in a theater in Los Angeles for an entire week with multiple showings throughout the week. It uh, has to be in the year prior to that ceremony, and it has to be not broadcast in non-theatrical format. So, in other words, when Netflix shows has Mudbound, they cannot release it on their platform prior to or at the same time that it is showing in the theater in Los Angeles. So, technically, what they did was they put that film, a very fine film, which I went on and on about, which also that cinematographer that I lauded so heavily is going to be honored by the AFI in coming weeks for her achievements in cinema mm. uh, production already. Um, they qualified correctly. 
they put it in a Los Angeles theater, multiple showings for a week, and then they can pull it and do whatever they want. Now, this is where immediately I think Mr. Spielberg's lost his way. I am 51 years old. And as I've said again at nauseum, I was raised on film. There were a number, we went every weekend and we'll talk about these kind of experiences later in the show. We went every weekend to Dallas to see the current films. My father had to see it. If it was new and it was hot, the critics were talking about it, we had to see it. Do you However, do you remember the first movie he took you to? I don't remember the first movie. I remember one of the first movie experiences was the Steve McQueen, Dustin Hoffman film Papillon. And they walked out because he was not entirely uh, clear that it was so objectionable for children. <laughs> and I, I forget what year that was, but it, it shows that I was young. Yeah. My dad never, ever shied away. He would take me to films and we would talk about, right. Okay. This is what it was about, but I digress. There are so many films that he showed me that we could not see in theaters. So I would say 50% or more of the films that I've seen in my life were on a TV. Now today. Wow. 50%. I, I, I easily, cause I watch, uh, you know, my wife will tell people they're like, Oh my God, you've seen that movie. She's like, Todd watches everything. And, <laughs> and it is an obsession of mine. Uh, yeah. I'm alone this weekend and I've already watched two and a half films. I had to walk out of a third one and pause it the other day. Cause I just didn't have time to finish. I will sit and watch it now. In those days, when I was a kid, obviously you had a smaller color TV. Now you have all these things where they're right. big screen TVs. You can get a projector and have a huge TV in your house. Right. You can replicate the theater experience and sometimes improve the theater experience. So. Well, I, I've got my first question for you. Yes. Based on everything you just said, which was very well stated, by the way, why do you think to qualify for Oscar consideration, you have to be in a Hollywood theater for a week. Is is that financial? Because, you know, they want their cut? Or is there another reason why that would be a qualifier? I'm going to take a very educated, stupid guess. Or I should say stupidly educated. Nice. And say that this remains from the old structure where Hollywood, obviously you did not have the way to prove that something was in New York as easily, or if it was showing in some small theater, you know, Los Angeles has always been for, for quite a while, been the central place of film production in, in America. They could then easily send someone over to, to check and see that it was going because, you know, you could list it in the theater. If it's not really showing, then it's not really doing it. I have a feeling I'm, I'm taking that guess that it was simply because they would send people to check it. And it's just one of those archaic rules they've kept right. out of tradition. And then and to tie something in real quickly here, because the the you're helping me. I already have an opinion, but you're helping me educate it a little bit. Here's the other thing. And you mentioned this a little bit in our, our pre-call, which was. um about oh lord did i just lose it you mentioned something about um oh man it was such a good point too and i'm 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 just blanking um you had brought up uh okay so we're talking about qualifying um it was really brilliant. Uh, you, you made me said, feel so good that you have these moments too. i know god uh um that's it what's uh lord, oh, okay okay i'm gonna get some energy here Okay. All right. That's fine, folks. Okay. They're just showing a little love. Boy, that program is not happy. It has actually just crashed. Okay. Um, that's what we get for recording. You had brought up, it was, okay, so we're talking about how they qualify and and what's needed. 
Mm, maybe go on to your next point, and I'll see if I can remember what I was going to say. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's let's get into this because I, this this conversation we're going to lead into advancements in technology, and I've already kind of mentioned that. Um, I I don't do this to to say, well, look oh, at yes. me. But again, that was but, it. Hollywood. You ahead. said Hollywood's always been a step ahead. <laughs> that's yeah. what I couldn't remember. <laughs> Those and, and, five words I couldn't remember. <laughs> and and that's where I, I'm going to go with this. So let me let me branch again. And and this is not for me to go. Whoa, look at me. But you know, if film is such a a meaningful part of my life that um, quite a few years back, I, I looked at my wife when a TV broke and said, "Look, I set aside a room in this house that I want to be a theater experience. It has no windows. When we built this house, I said no windows in this room, and I want it. I'm putting a projector in there. So I have." a very large screen where I can project it. I have replicated the theater experience and Jeff will probably even say this. I even went so far as because Spielberg was a hero of mine and he, when I was a kid, I saw a picture of him sitting in his home movie theater and it literally is a movie theater. I said to my wife, I'm going to learn to build things and I've replicated a 1930s movie theater in my house. And that is just a passion project to some people. It's silly to me. It's, it's like going to church. That, so I said that part didn't that part didn't surprise me is that you charged me actually, you know, a ticket fee to go in there and watch a movie. That's what surprised me. Full What's rate. great is that Jeff doesn't know I actually have his debit card, and every time I show any film, I actually charge him a fee. <laughs> I was wondering what that was. <laughs> but uh, the point of that being, I can now, in my experience, I don't have to watch on small TVs where I shut out light, where I do any of this. I can go in there, and you can do this. Anybody that wants to do this, you can actually do this on a pretty small budget you really can replicate this experience theater surround whatever you want and i can now these movies i watch at home i actually have come to prefer the experience of watching in a movie theater because movie theaters have lost their way in my opinion they allow people to talk they don't police it you sure you have alamo draft house that's actually pretty good and you can put a note up and says the people beside me are talking and they'll kick them out right they'll get them out but we have cell phones come on. We have people talk. They almost treat the cinema like it's their home couch watching a movie. Wrong. It's not. I've paid to be there too. Shut up. Right. Uh, when Christopher Nolan, when Steven Spielberg made this film, they weren't going, huh, I wonder if Jeff Legrone will talk here. You right. know? Right. Exactly. So for me, this comes to the point. Hollywood's lost its way. They've always been a step ahead of that way. And that's something I said to Jeff. If you consider this. Cinema came about at the at the peak of radio. Orson Welles, the great film director, which we're going to talk about at some point, uh, his greatest achievement, Citizen Kane, came from his success in radio and how he was able to translate that. So cinema immediately beat radio because they put pictures to radio. It then had the pressure from television. Television came along. Suddenly you had a small screen in your house and everybody's doing it. Now, the first thing they could say was, well, it's small and and in cinema, we're big. Well, the aspect ratio, meaning the, the the inches of length to height, were relatively the same, which is what they call in the industry 133 to 1, 1.33 1. inches across to 1 inch up. When it became that people were staying at home and watching television, cinema said, oh, we got to do something different. Let's make our images 1.85 across to 1 up. Then they created Panavision. Then they put in sound. Then they did Technicolor. Those advancements, those things that you've heard all your life and you think are just part of cinema are actually Hollywood and the industry saying we have to beat it. Right. So you got so, and you've got Dolby, you've got 3D. Yes. Yeah. And you know, and now even there's a thing that I see called D box, which is you sit in a seat and it vibrates and moves, which you know, I've got enough of that when the kid behind me is kicking. I don't need to sit in there very <laughs> Right. 
So for the first time, Hollywood, in my opinion, is behind the game. They've added 3D. Well, I can get 3D at home. Yeah. I don't I personally don't care for 3D and we can go into that sometime. I'll I'll be happy to break apart why I think it actually ruins the experience of film, but their advancements are no longer able to eclipse what occurs at home because now with the advent of 4K projection, 4K TVs, the color palette that the images in high def can deliver rival if not beat some of the film production because that without getting into the science of it the film emulsion and if you go with the correct types of film have a color depth that television even in the high early high def days could not beat ah. 4k makes that the conversation almost negligible you it, you already get people saying oh no one can look at 4k and perceive that it's really that much better right well we're at the point now where no one can look at film and say it's that much better and getting back to the technology, you're absolutely right, because we're talking about, you know, way back in the day, everything was on film. So, you, you know, the projector was a huge expense. So obviously nobody could have that except for, you know, some of the super, super, super rich. And then, of course, uh, the uh, invention of the projector, the three gun, you know, those not only were really, really heavy and really expensive, mm-hmm. um, but yet another piece of technology that you couldn't get. And then it comes along the digital age where things start to get smaller and more efficient. And, you know, I almost missed because that was one of the cool things you could hear if the theater was quiet uh, was them firing up the projector. You could start hearing that, uh, you know, the film being being pushed through the machine. And so, you know, it it is it it is interesting because what you're hitting on is exactly the thought I had when I read it. And I have a lot of respect for Steven Spielberg as well and Christopher Nolan. I think they do great. But it's amazing to me that they can be so brilliant when it comes to telling a story uh, through light and sound, but can be so incredibly, to me, narrow-minded when it comes to this because now we're getting into the discussion of well, what makes a movie a movie, right? We used to call it film because it was shot on film. It was edited on film. Well, I guess Hollywood was well, willing to accept the film to digital, you know, conversion. But now that you have a company that started out again, the Netflix story is to me uh, worth noting. Hey, I want to watch a movie. I don't want to have to go to Blockbuster because they're all closed, and. I wanted in my, and I remember getting these discs. I remember how excited you get, you'd open it up and you'd play it and then you'd throw it back in and you'd set up a queue and all that stuff. So this company grew and then they had the gall to start making their own content. So the other thing I want to bring up to you is this, and, and you can speak to it because obviously you're much more educated when it comes to it, but getting a movie in a movie theater and from watching shows like Project Greenlight and some other small documentaries that I have, that is not an easy task from what I understand. Even if you have a good amount of money and the, what is it, the uh, disaster artist, I watched that recently, and that was kind of a prime example of somebody that had money, but still to get a movie shot and then in a theater was quite the task. That's exactly right. And, and the disaster artist is a beautiful film about someone with, they don't speak to where he gets the resources, but the resources to accomplish not only, hey, I'm tired of not getting roles, so I'm going to write something, I'm going to direct it, shoot it, cut it, and deliver it to show in theaters. If you do not have the money to do that, 
you're rather doomed. You know, we've had so many great advancements in independent film here of late. Independent film's been around for a long time. A lot right. of people act like it's just come on. No, it hasn't. Um, but the ability to get it into theaters, it stops at a point because, you know, where you can independently do your own music, you can put books out, you can do these things. Movies, you cannot just walk up and go, hey, here's an independent theater. I'm going to get them to show my movie. Right. No, you're not. Uh, a lot of the way it gets in there is you take it to film festivals. We've all heard of South by Southwest. We've all heard of Sundance and on and on. Right. If you're lucky enough to be selected to be shown there, then if you're lucky enough to get good word and you're lucky enough that the people actually want to bid on it, then someone will bid and you're still not guaranteed that you're ever going to be in theaters because they may look at it and go, well, this is actually going to be better for us if we just put it on home video. We have a movie that's coming out that's kind of similar um, right. And we don't want to ruin the box office uh, portion of that. So we're going to hold off and not release yours. Plus, but Miss Little Girl, we think you're a great talent and we want to give you a chance. So we're going to take your video. We're going to pay back. I mean, your movie and we're going to pay back your production budget. Here's a little money for you. We'd love to see your next film. but We're going to sell it to direct TV. Right. Right. And so when you look at that, it we we haven't really closed that gap the way we have in the digital age with a lot of other artistic mediums to where you can easily disseminate it out so people can see it right so you're already up against it so this brings into this whole thing again and, and i'm gonna this really comes again because nolan and spielberg within one year of each other have talked about the netflix model that they don't see it as the same thing spielberg goes so far as to say they're fine works of art they just should qualify for an emmy not an oscar that's the point at which I go, you're a hero of mine, and you you are not thinking through your thought. Right. You're, you're discounting one and saying it doesn't belong in this discussion, when the truth is, I would almost guarantee of his amazing work of art, uh, entire catalog of art, I would almost guarantee that the majority of anyone from 40 and below has only seen that through home video. So you're telling yeah. me Steven Spielberg <laughs> to them, right? Your entire overture is, is like it's discounted because uh, it, it needs to be an Emmy. Now, if we were to look at classic art, it, it in fact, it doesn't believe belong on AFI's list because they didn't see it in a the theater. It's the dumbest, dumbest argument I've ever heard. I think, and do you think that part of their, their lack of, of understanding or maybe, or I shouldn't say lack of understanding. I'm sure they understand it. But their lack of uh, of allowing some of the bending of the rules, do you think that is based out of the fact that it's probably been years and years and years since Stephen uh, or Christopher have had to push a movie into theaters? I mean, they're pretty much guaranteed. Spielberg yeah. is at the level where when he directs something, it's not only going to be released, it's going to be big. And it's going to get all the bells and whistles that go with that. Same thing with Christopher Nolan. Spielberg's even beyond that. Spielberg's to the point that if he simply discusses something going into production, it suddenly is Oscar worthy. You know, right, right. It, there was recent talk that he was going to direct a remake of, uh, oh my God, uh, uh, Robert Wise's West Side Story. And West Side Story, I, I, I don't expect everybody to love film musicals, but Robert Wise, who directed West Side Story, has a storied career and the, the, beginning of that is that he was the editor for citizen kane ah that film and when we we're gonna like i tease we're gonna talk about those films jeff i'm telling you right now that film with orson wells and robert wise working together created much of the editing language we have today wow so okay. you go watch west side story and there are points in it you're like oh my god this is not just 
a great movie musical written by Bernstein and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, you're looking at something that transcends the genre because it has a man directing who understood editing like no other. So Spielberg uh-huh. talks about remaking it. My heart breaks because I kept thinking, oh, Stephen, that, don't touch that film. Why? It's, yeah, it's like that, that film is so perfect. Yes, yes, it's dated. Yes, the, you know, now, now when we shoot musicals, they put small earbuds in so the actor can hear someone playing the music offset and right. they actually sing on set. Back then they lip synced it. Leave it alone. It, it is what it is. But when he announced that, oh my God, an Oscar caliber director taking on a classic work of art, this is surely to be a top contender for a best picture when it comes out. Why? Spielberg, as much as I love him, has made mistakes. These men are so caught up in, and as you said, to get back to your point, they they haven't had to struggle getting a film in because they have production deals. Anything they want to do, they can yeah, do. Yeah. I I have a feeling, I hope, that those con- that, that conversation that that quote came from, that these might have been comments where he was simply thinking just right off his chest, just bam, here it is. Well, I, but well, I've been because I've been keeping a, I've been keeping an eye on the wire, and he has he and and Christopher did make some pretty harsh comments, and then came back and said they were unjust. But he hasn't made really any attempt to clarify or change it. I mean, he's he said it, yeah. and he's kind of he's kind of stayed by it. Um, I, and the one thing I want to say real quick is, you know, you have taught me a lot about the art of movie, right? And I still have a ton to learn. So. Now we're getting into, is it art because it's because of the device you watch it on? Well, is it because of the device you watch it on or the device that you shoot it with also? Well, there you go. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Spielberg, and, and I get this, and, and I think this really goes a lot to what he's trying to say, is he, the art of filmmaking, and it's always going to be called filmmaking. It's the same as, you know, that uh, when someone releases a new collection of songs on spotify itunes it's always going to be called a new album right album yeah. even though we don't press albums anymore the art of filmmaking to spielberg is gospel and you can argue that there has been no greater film filmmaker that could digest the art of the past put it together and create the art of the future i i don't know that there's ever been a filmmaker that so boldly understood uh truffaut's influence in the french new wave and how it could transcend into stories about extraterrestrials. Right. Um, however, I don't. I don't see these works of art as having to be shot on film. He does. He says he'll never shoot high def. He'll never shoot digital. But are you then discounting Stephen that that um, uh, the Hobbit was shot at forty eight frames per second? Now that's because he used high. Uh, Peter Jackson used high def technology where he could shoot 48 frames per second. And what that means is, since the advent of sync sound, they have gone to 24 frames per second through a thing called a crystal sync that allows the film and the sound to run at the same speed. 24 mm. frames per second created that illusion, that somewhat dreamlike, blurry quality, but still, when you watch it, it looks real. Of film, so there are 24 frames passing per second you watch. Well, Peter Jackson decided high def will allow me to do 48 twice as much information when you watch those i i went with my daughter took her to see the hobbit films and I, I said look they're only showing the 48 frames per second real thing and a few theaters were going to go there and ah. there were times where it was jarring to me because i'm like holy crap this doesn't look like film ah. but are you telling me mr spielberg that mr jackson's efforts to use a new technology therefore diminished what should 
he's used something that's a television technology and shown it in theater. So is he okay for Oscar consideration? Whereas somebody who shoots film and can't get it there and only can get it on Netflix is not right. this is a ridiculous argument. And, and, and if you want to, if you want to take a similar logic to that, it's like when there were black and white film and then there was color, you know, exactly. how, how many people would be like, well, I'm not going to ever shoot in color because that takes away blah, 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 blah. And it's, you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's the same as it ever was. It's the same argument as we move through. And, and I, I'm I'm proud of what Netflix has done. I'm proud that that I get good quality content from them. I'm not limited to my local television network to do so. I don't have to um, necessarily. Uh, sub, well, you do subscribe to Netflix, but I mean, there isn't anything else. There's no there's no, other than just paying your monthly membership, which I think is a very good rate. Um, there's nothing else required to to watch, and they turn content out. I mean, there's there's comedians that joke about how many stand-up uh, comedian shows they have on there. You've got, uh, and, and, the, and the hits just keep coming with Stranger Things. And uh, what, a, what a great uh, environment to be where you are, like us, a fan of, of storytelling, right? Because that's really what it comes down to. Film, storytelling at, you know, to be considered a minimum of 40 minutes or, or 90 minutes of a story. Well, television, in a sense does the same thing in their shows. They, they tell a story. It's on a different format. But in the end, it all comes down to me, at least, telling a story. And whether it's in a segmented number of episodes or it's done in one long um, movie, then, you know, I, to me, I, those are just different ways for me to digest it. Um, that segues real quickly into another uh, story that came out where Samsung just... Uh, installed, I think in LA, their first LED wall in a movie theater. And what is that going to do? Taking the place of the projector. Taking the place of the projector. So I'm pretty sure some of our kind listeners know what LED wall is, but basically if you've ever been to a sporting event uh, and you see that giant uh, screen that shows replays and everything, basically it's a much more fancy version of that. The dots, the DPI or dots per square, uh, is it DPI? Yeah, dots per square inch. Um, is or dots per inch is much 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 better than what you would see at a sporting event and looks really well you know looks incredible from what i understand now they're super expensive they're talking about to replace a, a large theater screen it would be close to a uh, million dollars to do so uh, as opposed to some of the new laser projectors that are coming out that uh around 300 to 500 k um, what are your thoughts on that as far as an LED wall experience? So when you sent me that article and, and I, I'd seen it in a news feed that, that morning and I only flipped past it, but you sent it to me. I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to read it now. And my first reaction was I actually became a hypocrite. All these things I've, I've said, you know, don't constitute the conversation of whether it merits this kind of recognition in art came to me because I thought, well, crap. There's something, there's something so true about a beam of light coming from behind me and telling me a story that transports me to a world that I didn't know existed. That is the truth of it to me, you know, the truth of the theater experience. And then I started thinking, no, it's the romanticism of the truth, because what really is the truth is what I'm seeing and telling the story to me. I, you know, as you were talking, I thought of another example of this, you know, ebooks now. Are you telling me that when I read something, when I 
when I take a story and I take your words and let the story form pictures and thoughts in my mind, is it somehow not a book? Should it only be recognized as an electronic book? It's a ridiculous argument. So I realized at right. that point, when I'm looking at that article you sent me, I'm a hypocrite as much as them because all I want to see is you tell me a story. Right. And so I think that we, you know, depending upon when we come into this lovely world, perhaps we're the ones that bring it with us and we have to strip away these hypocritical thoughts because to my daughter, if I took her and I didn't tell her where the image was coming from or that, Hey, did you know now they don't even have to have a projector. They just, it's a big TV. Right. She wouldn't care. No. (laughs) And so uh, to me, it, it really is. It's a, it's a, it's an obvious conversation that has to happen because if Hollywood doesn't stop thinking this way, they are going to, this is the way they're finally going to be hit in the same way that the music industry, that the publishing industry have, which is that da- digital advancement is going to basically say you're always thinking are done. They music is probably the most famous example, how they lost there, the, the 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 music the studios that controlled every artist you had to have a deal with a, with a a label to get out those days are done now right. you still have your artists like taylor swift and and what and, you know all these different people who are on those and they do hold a different kind of power however you now have the emergence of artists that do this publish it themselves they create their own publishing label yeah it out they get other artists they help them get it out they put on spotify and itunes and they don't care about labels and they are they're they're flourishing and hollywood is finally faced with the idea that they are in trouble because and this is what it really comes down to that mr spielberg's not considering it is not the way you put the image there it is not how it's shot it is how's it presented and what i mean by that the difference is How's it presented to the populace who's going to watch it? Because they have ruined the theater going experience to me. What I said before, people talking. I, I talked about a quiet place and how the little girl wrestling her popcorn and candy wrapper. Right. That will actually go in my heart is, you know, is a great experience because I, I saw the power of that film because they had created such silence that that was jarring. But it's usually what's wrong with the theater experience is the talking, the phones, the rustling around, the getting up and down. They've ruined it. The expense. And they, yeah, and it's it's now to the point that I prefer to watch in my home theater because I can control it the way I want to. I can watch. At, I don't have to. You don't tell me when I have to be there. Right. I don't have to wait for lines for popcorn. Right. I watch it, and I I really think if Hollywood doesn't realize that soon, what you're going to see is all these multiplexes are going to shut down. I really think they're on the precipice of disaster. They're they're getting there, and that's for sure. Because um, for all those brilliant points that you brought up, um, but you know the great thing about talking about this is is not only are you you know educated in film, but but we're both have some some years of of going to the movie theaters and having different experiences. Because it, you know when it's right, oh, it's so great. But when it it can go horribly wrong and be something that's completely out of your control. Which kind of just leads us to our next portion of the show where Todd and I are just going to kind of talk about our experiences in the movie theaters. Um, I invite all the kind listeners to uh, feel free to shoot us an email, info at theotherkindradio.com, and kind of tell us. We'll be more than happy to, to revisit those um, in, the, in the up-and-coming shows. But, I mean, that, again, that kind of comes back to what, what we've been discussing for the last few minutes, which is 
you know, the movies, the cinema was was born out of a necessity for people to escape and be able to see uh, some entertainment, right? Because not everybody had the had the 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 city or the population to have big Broadway shows or something like that. So yeah, I mean, the movie was a place you could go to to get away, and you know, way back in the day. And then as technologies progressed and everything else, um, I think by holding on to some of those. Uh, old rules and and you know uh, old school kind of of thinking. You're absolutely right. I think they're headed down you know the road of blockbuster and and some of the other businesses that never really um, wanted to take the time to analyze and look at what they could be doing differently to make it better. And that's what's beautiful about Netflix and some of these other services that are coming up is that now more than ever we have great content. And one of the things that we learned about uh, content was uh, an important lesson that we learned about content was from cable. And that is more channels doesn't mean more content um, or content you will be interested in. Um, I've said it for years and it's starting to come true that that, um, you know, we're getting real close to an a la carte system. You know, I don't want 600 channels and pay for 600 channels of, of cable. I want this, this, and this. I want these channels because those are the ones that interest me, and I really don't want any any, any else. Now you have um, a PlayStation View, which I introduced my my father to, and and he really enjoys because he gets to pick what he watches. And I, I think they got rid of their their cable a while back. Um, and not to go off on too far of a, a rabbit hole, but um, it it comes down to no longer. Um, can the movie no longer is Hollywood in a position to be the only sole um, determination of what people are going to get? If you if you you compared it to the music industry, and we know from the music industry there were tons of artists that were taken advantage of, that had bad contracts, that were that other people made a lot of money off the blood, sweat, and tears of of guy uh, of, of men and women that simply just wanted to perform their art and, and exhibit their gift. Well, I can, I, I would, I would conclude that the same thing has happened in cinema. There's gotta be some people that had maybe a little bit of money and, and went and shot movies and put together some great stories and and whatnot. And maybe because they, you know, didn't uh, talk to the right person at a cocktail party or they weren't in favor with a certain type of political view their film, like you said, maybe was purchased, get, and they were reimbursed, and then it was shelved. I, I, it's been a while since I've read any headline where some movie's been, you know, dug up from the archives. But now, just like the music industry, film, yeah, you 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 physically, or excuse me, people financially now can can save up and go shoot that story and do a pretty good job. And then it's about more options of where to distribute their content and their storytelling rather than knowing they had to go to Hollywood or this particular place uh, to even get an opportunity to show it. Another good example is what's happening with the microbreweries because for a long time it was kind of like Hollywood and you had to go through a certain distributor to get your beer out. And if you were going to compete with the big dogs, you know, the Coors and, and Budweiser and those guys, um, they would either buy you up and then relabel it or they'd say no and you couldn't distribute your your product 
So not only is it affecting the film industry, but it's, it's covering a lot of areas. And I'm excited because like I said, I, I, I uh, like you enjoy a good story and I'm getting more and more of that today than I have in the past where I'm finding myself less, um, less uh, excited about like the Han Solo movies coming out this month. I, I texted you that yesterday. I didn't even know it was coming out on the 25th. I thought it was going to come out in December or whatever, but then I'm not really that excited about it because I'm thinking, well, do I, do I go see it in the theater or do I just wait till I can watch it in the privacy of my own home where I'm not going to have cell phones ringing, babies crying. Uh, there was something that was posted on Reddit today where somebody went to see the, uh, uh, what's the dogs movie? Um, it's, I think it's an anime. Do you remember the name of that? Oh, Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs. And they said for the last hour, a baby was crying and the parent turned on their phone and let the kid watch some other cartoon thing with the volume turned up while the movie was on. So, I mean, right there, it's like, you know, that, that just would, that would just ruin it. Um, and, and if I can interject, yeah, yeah, there have yeah, yeah, been, been talks of the theaters saying we need to what we need to create because this is a changed age. We need to create zones where people can sit at their seat. And if they need to interact with their phone, they can. We're trying to do things that <laughs> diminish the glow of the screen. Bull crap. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so you don't have to beat me. I was like, bull crap. Right. You know, no, you, you put jammers in there and say cell phones are not welcome here. Yeah. Or you simply say, if you're caught, like Alamo Draft Test does, yeah. if you're caught with it on, you're out. Right. If there's an emergency, please get up and go take care of it elsewhere. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, you really, really have to look at the entirety of this and you have to understand because I, I remember in the early days when I was a child, when my dad was doing this and taking my, my older sister and I and my mom to the movies every weekend we would go to theaters and what my dad told me from a very early age was now listen we don't talk in here we go in and we're quiet if you have questions and you don't understand we can talk about it afterwards now i know that in my mind i was always quiet no it wasn't every kid will talk my daughter's been told the same thing as she'll talk <laughs> but she's beginning now as a teenager to understand this medium is going to pose questions for the characters and you because I, I swear to god my daughter will within five minutes go i don't get it and i'm like oh my god be quiet it will tell you the story right too many parents too many people have now gotten into this whole thing where it is the experience is ruined because of those things they need to talk they need to ask please trust the filmmaker if it's a bad film it's not going to answer the questions and you can say it's a bad film get up and walk out right the idea that we're going to somehow placate people's need to interact with their digital device absurd yeah yeah exactly. i'm sorry to interject there i know that was taken away from some of no your points, no 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 I, that I, I almost lost myself that anybody would turn to their kid yeah. and go here's a phone yeah it's it's crazy no 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 it's open discussion but look, what we move into um the the last portion of the show here and kind of just talk about our experiences through um uh over the years and i, I was going to start out and say do do you have i don't know if you've lived in in dallas most of your life but do you just north of dallas most of my life do, i mean within it was less than an hour drive to get to downtown dallas okay so do you have a favorite theater that you have been to i do have a favorite theater and it's no longer it, its true form is no longer here and it was <laughs> at uh, north park mall in dallas um, they used to have what was called simply North Park 1 and 2, and on the opposite side of the highway, they had North Park 3 and 4. North Park 1, 
was a theater that became so revered that even Lucas and Spielberg would often come to see films there. Wow. It, it was a humongous screen with a humongous sloped. It wasn't the, 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 yeah. uh, yeah. the theater type scene we see today. The, uh, what do they call that? Why can't I think of it? Where, uh, anyway, where you have the slope seating. Stadium? And, yes, thank you. It wasn't the stadium seating, but it was a slope. And it was gigantic compared to everybody else. Right. Such a great place that when uh, Return of the Jedi came out, George Lucas had them install one of the first THX systems outside of Los Angeles when in that theater. Mm, wow. So I, I saw so many films there. Um, I, I, I can remember back to when the very back of the theater actually had cigarette uh, ashtrays on the back of the one in front of it so people could smoke you could still smoke in a theater (laughs) but it was this grand theater it's where i saw star wars i saw all these things and to me it it was the mecca of the theater experience and unfortunately and understandably they eventually tore it down to further the mall that's there and they put a megaplex up top it's a really good theater but it's not that wonderful starbucks yeah yeah um so what was the color theme in there it was gray and blue. Gray and, and blue. And when you when you walked into the theater before yeah. the film had begun, they actually had a row of blue lights that kicked up on the screen. Yes. So it was this glowing blue hue. Yes. Walked in. It was just it was magic. The original blue screen of death. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> but you know, they did not have it wasn't the old classic theater that had the velvet curtains that opened, but oh. those lights I will never forget. My Star Wars experience, I did not want to see the film. My dad had told me, and what it sounded like was we were going to watch somebody go to Mars, you know, and I thought, this is stupid. <laughs> but I sat down. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the truth of any 10-year-old child is when your dad says, hey, we're going to go see a movie today right. called Star Wars. You're going to love it. I'm like, bull crap. <laughs> um, because at that time, my dad had taken me to see far too many serious films and yeah. you know films that today I watch Breaker Morant I'll never forget going with him and I was like oh my god really and now I see it today I'm like god that's an amazing film so we sit down with Star Wars and I remember what I remember the experience walking in with my dad and my sister my mom was at a sewing class she was a seamstress at the time yeah and the lights slowly descended from that yes, blue yes the fade and it was just like you were immediately pulled in and I didn't know. You didn't know. Am I going to love this movie or not? And they didn't do the half hour of previews at that time. You got a couple, and you settled in, and it was that magic, yeah, of the bomb as it you know Star Wars came across. Yep. That that forever will be cemented in my mind, not only because of the film, but because of the location. And we don't have those today. And I do think right. actually, Jeff, and I'll, I'll introduce this, and we can talk about this another time. I do think they're going to get back to killing the megaplexes and they're going to have to start having those yes. show places again. Yes. And you'll only have the, the solos coming out there. You won't have the smaller films. Yes. There. So, yes. I have that place and it will forever be in my heart. So what, what about you? Where so, did you see films as a kid? So you just described now again, you know, uh, growing up in New Mexico, we had the, the white sands theaters one and two, and, and those were good theaters. Um, but I don't know if it was the age or uh, my inability to focus for a long period of time didn't really create an impression. Um, but one of my ma- my favorite theaters that I found was when we moved here to Omaha, Nebraska. And there was a movie theater that, like yours, no longer exists. It was called Indian Hills Theater. 
And they had a few other smaller theaters, but they had their one big main one. And it was described basically the way you did. It was huge. And it had the heavy uh, curtains and drapes for baffling. So the, the first thing oh, I like would it. notice when I walked in there was was how quiet it was. Um, and, and, and just because of some of the baffling and whatnot. Um, it had the huge slope seating. It also was so big that on the left-hand side and right-hand side, they had um, like a light snack place where you could go get popcorn and uh, soda without having to leave the theater. That's how big this place was. So they, it didn't intrude. The little bit of light that came out from that place um, didn't really affect the overall uh, lumens that were being shot across uh, onto the screen. Um, their colors were, and I'm going to, I may have some people here in Omaha correct me, but I want to say their overall color was purple, kind of a purple and gold. Mm. I don't remember. And you bring, you brought up something I completely forgot, um, about this, about this, the, the curtains opening about the, 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 oh, that was so cool when it used to do that. And you'd hear that, that the running of the, the track and it would open and you knew, okay, it's showtime. I mean, it was, it was, it was great. You also reminded me of the the slope theater, right? <clears throat> so, did you ever get something like, oh, I don't know, uh, gobstoppers and roll them down? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and wasn't that just such a giggle? Because it start out and you could just hear, yeah. I, oh, for me, go. it was always that I, I was the stupid kid that accidentally kicked my coke and it was. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, Dad. I... I drank all my soda. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that was, that was, that was another thing about those old theaters, uh, that I don't miss is the, the, the stickiness of the floor. Oh yes. <laughs> Cause the, you, the point where you literally didn't know if you could take another step forward because your foot was right. cemented to the like, floor. What is this? Yeah. Yeah. Just from the, from, from all the Cokes that you kicked over, um, people, people losing shoes and stuff like that. Right. Um, I'd say my, my, um, Second favorite theater, but this was probably because I was in New York for the first time, was when I went and saw Gladiator. Um, and I wish I could remember the name of the theater, but I'm not going to go down that road again because it, it could. I had my one lucky shot today. It could be another 45 minutes before I remember. But I, <laughs> but I remember it was the first movie I went to. So this is 99, 2000. Um, and I went to see Gladiator and uh, assigned seating. And I was blown away mm. when they turned to me and said, where would you like to sit? And I'm like, uh, preferably in the theater. And, <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, I like got to pick my seat. And I was like, oh, yeah, which today is more common. But it was it was it was nice because, believe it or not, I am not a front and center guy. I don't like to sit oh so high right in the middle of the screen. I because it's more important for me to be able to see and hear the movie and not compete with alligator popcorn mouth and mom explaining the movie when it's we're 15 seconds in um i will rather sit off to the side by myself or i don't get mm. distracted by that and i've done it for so long that it's just become um, that's your habit habit right um which which kind of my cinema my love for the cinema uh, of course seeing star wars empire strikes back and everything the movies were great but my true love where i really really fell in love with movies was right out of high school. I took a job 
uh, working at a hotel reservation center. And back in those days, um, <laughs> you always, when you first started, you always got the terrible shift. So I think mine was like four o'clock in the afternoon to like two in the morning. So um, prior to getting that job, the last movie that I saw in a primetime Friday night, you know, we, you know, primetime in a movie theater was Forrest Gump. Hmm. And it, what a beautiful movie that, that, that is and continues to be. Um, but it was ruined because it was Friday night and everybody was jaw jacking and not paying attention, didn't care and were more uh, interested in, in anything but what was on the screen. And I remember saying to myself, I'm never doing this again. So once I got the job, I would get up and I'd have a couple hours to kill. So I would go to the West Roads Mall to their smaller uh, multiplex and I would go to the movies every day. And I'd go in, and if it was a movie I'd already seen, I would watch it again. Um, if it was something new, then, of course, I would catch it. But that's where I fell in love with with movies, storytelling, and also seeing a movie by myself, which was which is a plus and a minus. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> because there's nothing worse than that, that first date, and you realize you're like, oh, no. Oh no, she's a talker. You know, <laughs> you know and, and, and honestly, that's one of the reasons my wife would prefer if a film comes out that I go by myself because she right. knows my wife tends to be, oh my God, oh my right. God. And I'm like, stop. <laughs> so I will often go attend by myself. And even though I've done this and I've loved films since I was 10, uh, you know, that's 10 is th that, that age of Star Wars when it truly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I go almost. Every time by myself, I'm considering today going to see the Avengers by myself simply because I'm oh. like, if I'm going to see a comic book movie, I want to get into it and not have my wife going, yes. oh, my God, yes, yes. <laughs> I just don't want it. Um, and if I can interject and say I, I actually have a, a, a pinpointed place that truly was the opening of my mind to film as an art form, my, uh, you know, Again, my dad taking me to all these things. I had a secondary theater called the Inwood here in Dallas, mm -hmm. which I knew if we went to North Park, chances were it was a movie that was going to speak a little more to me. If we went to Inwood, it was an artsy film, and I was going to go snore. Right, it was Gandhi. Yeah, you know, and he, I, I'll never forget going to see Bob Fosse's Cabaret there, and that would have been ah. seventy-two, and I was young. I might have been seven at that time. Yeah, but my dad took me. You know, and it's it's a musical. Musicals in my family are we love them. I loved it. I didn't understand a damn thing about it. I didn't understand that it was trying to tell me about the onset of the Nazi movement into Austria and all those kind of things. Oh, Lord. It really is. If you've never seen if a lot of people think cabaret is this, oh, you know, money makes the world go round. It is. But at the same time, it has undercurrent themes of Nazism and all this. And it's hmm. a very, very good film. I digress by saying that, that, you know, all these things that happened, my first job was at the Rialto Theater in Denison, Texas, which is small town that I grew up in, uh, under 40,000 people, the theater in downtown that had be, been revamped. It's probably, probably biggest claim to fame was that the film John River star, I'm sorry, John River, the film Red River starring John Wayne. <laughs> there we go. Red River starring John Wayne and Montgomery Clift had its premiere there. And oh. so I got my j first job there, you know, and it was the, the first bit of it was shoveling popcorn in the bags. And I literally actually sucked at it so bad I eventually got fired with it. A few weeks later, the manager calls back and goes, do you want another chance? He's like, yes, sir. And I went in there and I learned work ethic. Which whoa, is whoa, 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 whoa. What? You got fired 
Yes, I did. Because you couldn't put popcorn in a bag. No, I got fired because I'd rather jack around. Uh, two oh. of my best friends were working there, and it was literally I sucked because I jacked around. Okay, and I, okay. And I got fired, and I learned about your, you know, your work ethic means a lot. You can have yes. fun, but you got to do it. And eventually, um, you know, I worked there. I dealt with people, getting that, them in a theater. I cleaned the theaters, which it was slightly sloped. That so sh- that I, shocks me, and I don't mean to st- I don't mean to stick on this because you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Me repeatedly saying you got fired. I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to enjoy that too much. 15. But um, uh, you, I've known you for years. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I actually sat and was thinking about it the other day. I, you and I have known each other for for a long time, almost almost 20 years. Probably. Yeah. Easily. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let me be dismissive it, it of your point. Like yeah, <laughs> it feels much longer. I'm um, sorry. Did you say something, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> so uh you have like one of the best work ethics that that i when i'm finding myself wandering or wavering think okay you know you know todd you know you, you have always been a uh, an icon of hard work and that just to me just tracked me up because i can't imagine you jacking around <laughs> Well, see, your problem there is that you got the wristband that said, what would Jesus do? You need to get the one that says, what would Todd do? <laughs> if you want that work. But, you know, we all stumble at some point. Oh, I, sure, I sure. use the line with my teenage daughter all the time, and I stole it from Batman Begins. Why do we fall down so we can learn to pick ourselves up? Right. And it, it is the Rialto Theater is such a significant part of my life for the, yeah. those reasons. I learned to quit jacking around. I fell in love with film because we showed uh, – let me actually say that I fell in love with the technical aspect, how yes. film is actually yes. constructed because we showed uh, Tarzan, the legend of Greystoke. And I was not the lead projectionist, but I got to be projectionist enough that film is going to tear. Film is going to crack. You have to splice it. You have to mm-hmm. put it back together. Yeah. And it was my first instance of putting on the little white gloves. So you didn't put your fingerprints on of cutting where you saw tears in the film or you knew there were problems cutting a frame. And suddenly when I did it, I looked and went, wait, that image is basically the same for a couple of frames, but every one of them changes. And, you know, and it was, there was, there was the truth. It was like a musician for the first time seeing staff music and understanding, oh, there's a flow. It was in front of me. So the Rialto formed that so deeply in me that when I talk about having a 1930s movie theater, and maybe someday I'm very close to finally being done with it. It's been a passion project over 10 years when I'm done building this 1930s movie theater in my home maybe i'll share it out on twitter some pictures but that theater in my home is called the rialto ah oh i didn't know that the rialto to me is it's the point at which a a dream came into my life and my dream was to direct film and you know even at 51 who knows because now i can shoot it on my my android and cut it and deliver it maybe maybe i'll do that one day yeah but uh, you know that's what that's what movie theaters should be. It should be the place that we remember the dreams and the dreams are the stories that are told to us on the screen. It right. doesn't matter how they get on that screen. Right. It doesn't matter at all how we digest them as long as we live that dream. Very well said. Thank and, you. And before we get out of here, there's just, just a couple things I want to cover because we're, we're doing good on time is one, <clears throat> I've heard you talk about movies and but I've never heard you mention food. What is your go-to? I mean, come on, man. At, at a movie theater or just in general? Oh, Lord. At a movie theater. No, when you're at a picnic. Yes, when you're going to the, what we're talking about. Yeah. It, it, it very simply is this, and if my wife were here, she would actually say it's salt. 
because you take so you take a big salt lake in there a big big block of salt you know she worries she's like you realize you're going to one day die <laughs> because of a heart attack because of the amount of salt you eat. and i i have tried consciously to cut it down but i love popcorn popcorn, popcorn to okay. me in fact my wife and daughter are gone this weekend and i literally made the biggest bowl of popcorn because popcorn is such a part of me yeah, that yeah. My wife understood early in those dating days. Don't you? You get your own popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> this is mine, right? And yes. I will literally take it into the theater. And yes. people who go to the movies with yes. me often know I will put it aside. Yes, and I'll only eat it when the feature begins, not when the previews. Oh, I, I want my popcorn with the movie. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I will. And don't dump M and M's in my popcorn. I don't want. Uh, I was horrified when that happened on a date once. Um, didn't even ask, just, just dumped them into my popcorn. Cause I was like, can I get you something? She was like, yeah, M&Ms. I'm like, cool. Uh, I'm going to get popcorn. And then her, and this is not a euphemism, her M&Ms got into my popcorn. And <laughs> I like it. More as a euphemism. <laughs> and I was horrified. I'm like, what are you like? I was like, what are you doing? Oh, it's so much better that way. No, it's not. No, you get your, and I, I did. I, I said, well, you have popcorn. <laughs> She's like, oh my God, that's, you're just, oh. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> popcorn's my popcorn. This is my, this popcorn's my popcorn. This popcorn's your popcorn. Anyway. um, I would have given her a quarter and said, here, call a cab. Yeah, well, oh, I, yeah, I don't even think we had cabs back then. I think it was, might've been a trolley. Um, <laughs> okay, because mine is nachos. I love really? nachos. Yes. And yes, kind listeners, I know the cheese is not real. That makes it better, though, doesn't but it? But I like it. Now, 45-year-old Jeff doesn't do well for the, with the uh, fake cheese. I don't know why I'm doing a Louisiana accent, but I don't. Um, but I still love it. And some jalapenos on there. Oh, my Lord. Good, good, good. And then, of course, I also switched over to water, but, of course, uh, a Mr. Pibb. That's the perfect combination for me. Mr. Mr. Pibb, Pibb, not Dr. Pepper? Mr. Pibb, even Mr. Pibb extras, not really Mr. Pibb. Mr. Pibb, nachos with some jalapenos, and I got to prepare everything um, before I go in. So I got to get you know everything distributed correctly on there. And if I'm feeling extra crazy, especially in my younger years, I would have the Mr. Pibb, nachos with jalapenos and then a hot dog with mustard ketchup and more jalapenos on that and that would be my set so i hope by the time you became 40 you started realizing that all that meant that the next day your stomach was going to be it didn't really start turning until i got yeah until i got around 40 and then i'd wake up the next day like hey so i have to ask the most pressing question in the whole world about nacho (laughs) consumption okay go ahead cheese on the chip or cheese in the little container to the side? That's that's a very good question. Um, if I'm by myself wearing sweats, a ball cap. <laughs> <laughs> Which is my favorite version of Jeff. Cheese all over because I don't care. Because I'll walk out of there because it, it, it's, I, I don't know how I do it, but I'll walk out of there and I'll go to the bathroom to wash my hands because they have cheese all over them. And I'll look and there'll be like some cheese in my eyebrow cheese you know on my shirt so if i'm gonna get down and dirty definitely cheese on there however if i'm dressed more sophisticatedly then uh obviously off to the side um but that's a very treacherous road to get down to because you can always have the chip break and then everything has to stop 
if the chip breaks off and it's underneath the cheese, that's a stop down. You you know, you gotta you gotta call in some emergency help. Do you use more chips? Do you try to fish it out with jalapenos? It becomes a big deal. I get very uh, distracted, which is why I consume my food before the film begins. Really? Yes. Which is how I gauge how previews are getting so much longer. Oh, good point. Because it used to be right about the time I was taking the last bite of the hot dog or I was just getting to the point where I was filled and maybe going to put those nachos to the side a little bit, let them cool down. That's when the feature would start. Now I get through all of that and it's still, you know, Willy Wonka 2 starring, you know, Burt Lancaster. Sylvester Stallone, yeah. I don't even know if Burt Lancaster is alive. I don't even know what he did. <laughs> so, um, summing kind of things up, and this is this has been a great conversation, and, and, and I look forward to any feedback or comments or questions that people have that are listening, because we all have these memories. And this is, this is just two opinions. I would love to hear about some other people's experiences. But I wanted to ask you real quick, before we kind of talk a little bit about the direction that we're going, what is your opinion of, of these restaurant places the Alamo Draft House and those kind of things where you can get food throughout the movie. You know, I, originally I, I hated that idea. I thought, ah, crap, I don't want all this. But having gone to Alamo, Alamo, and God, this is such the, the snotty part of living in a big city <laughs> like Dallas. But I, I, the snotty comes in this. I live in a, a further north suburb of Dallas, one that's only uh, named Richardson is less than 15 miles away. It's where I work. Um it becomes a chore to drive to it. However, I will say that if there was an Alamo here, it would be the only place I'd go, not for the food, but because of the way they actually preserve the theater experience. I, I think, fine, put the plates here, and I can deal with people eating. Okay. Uh, when you talk about the, how you consume the food, the funny thing is, is I actually know how long previews have gotten because my popcorn popcorn is colder by the time I get to it. Mm. Um but I've learned the fine art over all these years of how to eat popcorn, put it in your mouth without going, ah, you can do anything. Um, By closing your mouth? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> the people, and there are people I know in my life, and I won't say it in case they're watching this, who simply take the popcorn and put it in their teeth and with their mouth open oh, yeah. yep. before they close their mouth. Oh, I yeah. want to punch them. Yep. Yeah. Um, but it's not so much that you don't know how to consume food. It. it it, it to me is the theater's understanding of the theater experience sure. itself, if that makes sense. So, so, so Alamo, I love it. I think they're fantastic. Uh, I hope that they continue to grow. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with IPIC, which, you know, I don't know if that's up in your part of the world, Jeff, that's a version of that, that they're a little bit more about the big recliner seat than right. anything else. But it, I think it's great. If they can pull it off, I think it's a great idea. It's a, it, I agree too. And I, and I don't want in any way discourage anybody from going to Alamo draft house. They're, they're, they're good people. And I will say that every time I've been there, because we do actually have one in Omaha, um, the staff is always friendly. They're always, we, that's where we always, as a family, we go see the new star Wars movies. We always go to Alamo right. draft house and they've got a great little bit that they do before the film where they've got trivia and, you know, not, not, not bombarding you with, with sound and light, but basically just some, just a slide, just a slideshow right. of some stuff. I love that. They do some funny stuff with reminding people they'll have like a slide of Darth Vader 
were talking about, you know, hey, I didn't, you know, I was just going to check, you know, my my stock portfolio or something. That's why I had my phone out. And then Yoda is saying, well, you have to leave anyway. So they, they do a good job of that. Their wait staff is fantastic. And, and finding good wait staff these days is, is difficult to do. But the only thing is it's a little distracting for me because I if I'm tracking some movement or something that happens in the theater, and it's not out of fear or anything like that. It's just it just distracts me a little bit. Um, but they do a great job there, and I, I recommend people going there um, to watch films. Because the other thing they do that I like about Alamo, and I haven't done one yet, I got invited once, but I wasn't able to go, is they throw they show old films like Shining and, and other well-known films just so you can go back and see it on the big screen, which kind of getting back to our conversation, that's where the, the, the ingenuity, the creativeness comes in to keep the theaters going and not having them disappear. It's not that you, it, it used to be you just could show a film and serve popcorn and everything and, and, and that was it. Now you have to get a little more creative and, and do some things like that because I'd like to see some of those old films on a large screen. I saw Jaws at Alamo. Uh, Jaws oh. is a very special film to me. My wife got tickets for a friend and I and, and the three of us went. Fantastic experience. Even to the point, you know, it's funny, as I've, that's a film that I've seen literally hundreds of times. Wow. And know every beat of it that when the, sh the the shark explodes at the end, which spoiler, if you haven't seen a film that came out in 76, Great. I'm real sorry. Thanks. But when they did that, they actually passed out, you know, those little things you'll get on New Year's Eve that you pull Poppers. a string. And, yeah. They passed those out. And Drink. they said, and when, when the shark Go ahead, I'm sorry. goes boomy, uh -huh. do this. And I, I, I'm not kidding. I saw and I thought, oh, God, I don't want people to do that. It took a moment that I knew was coming and made it somehow fun. They were all cheering and having a good time. They do a fantastic presentation. If you're going to do things like that, make it fun. They passed out little foam shark fin hats that everybody wore. Oh, boy. I mean, they, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I it, bet it was. I bet you it take was. it in there. And I thought I didn't expect this. And one thing Alma yeah. does that I think is great when you talk about the food experience, they've actually the majority of the seats are raised up enough so that the wait staff never puts their head in front of you as they serve your food. Right. At least the ones in Dallas, they do. And it, right. it's wonderful. It's a wonderful experience. Well, you know, hopefully I'll get to uh, maybe sometime when I'm down your way, we can go catch a movie in the Alamo. And, and when it's all done, I look forward to catching uh, a flick with you in what's the name of the in, 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 uh, what's the name of your theater in Shinasa? In, in, in here in my house. Yes. The Rialto. Rialto. That was close. Yes. Yeah, it was right there. Um, before we leave the kind listeners today, we are running about a, about an hour 20, which, uh, you know, it's good. But it, one thing Todd and I said after uh, last week's show is uh, we can talk. Um, we're trending. Where are we going? What do you what do you think it's, you know, that's going to be? Now, we have talked about one thing that's already here, but I did want to kind of give it a second to talk about it. And that's these effing seats. Um. I don't need to be horizontal to watch a movie. Um, and if you're going to put them in your theater, oil them, check them to see if they make a bunch of noise. Because the one I was in when I was at uh, the place in San Diego, I couldn't ever adjust mine because it sounded like uh, a small, a, a cat, a possum, and yes. <laughs> some other small creature were all trapped inside when I'd, when I'd move my seat. I made mention about that with a quiet place that somebody walks by and here is a quiet thing and you have to put your, your right. seat down. Yeah. 
Hammer? It's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's I think that the nice seats are are nice, but again, it's it's the theater industry combating what you can do at home. You can put right. those seats in your home. Right. And they realize that people want that. So that's what they're doing. They're taking away the old stoic kind where it was the rigid back seat and now yeah. they're giving you this luxury that's it's irritating. I need a place for my drink. I need a place yes. to just kind of manage my little my little space. Um, but people do like them. But I am I I don't want to lay down and watch. If I want to lay, if I'm at the age, if I'm going to lay down, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> well, I'm at the age too that I have to say, uh, Cinemark is the the closest theater, and I go to it all the time. The Legacy they put them in. If I so decide to lay back. If I do, there's a little ledge in front of us that cuts off the bottom of the screen. And I realize that really in my side of vision, I'm losing maybe two to three inches off the bottom. It pisses me off. Yeah. They, they couldn't design this thing well enough to know that if I right. lay back, I miss part of the screen. Stupid, stupid, yeah. stupid, stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and again, I, I'd be interested to hear what some, some other people have to say about it. I, I just think it's, uh, again, I, I like the term on the edge of your seat. I like watching movies where I'm on the edge of my nice. seat, and that's generally where I'm at. I'm engaged. I'm watching. I I don't uh, you know reclining to me it confuses confuses my very simple brain. Well, I like I, how you tied that together on the edge of your seat. That was well done. Right. Very nice, Jeff. Um, but you know, if I start leaning back, my 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 poor simple brain gets confused. It's like, well, what, 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 what's happening? What, what 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 are we doing? Why why are we laying down? Are we tired? <laughs> what's going on? I want popcorn. I mean nachos and a hot dog. And indigestion tomorrow. All right. So getting back to uh, future, I mean, is there something that you think that they're going to try? I, I wrote down a few ideas here on, on the on the run sheet, but you know they've actually tried. You put here smell o vision. They actually tried, and I want to say it was John Waters, the classic kind of schlocky filmmaker who's really uh -huh. had a lot of success with things like Hairspray passed out cards so people could like scratch and sniff. Ah. So they've tried things like that and I think that you're going to continue to see they're going to try more and more things like that but I, what I really think I really have this feeling that much like the North Park left me I think these megaplexes are going to go away and what I, they're going to have to see that what they're going to have to do is go back to the show place yeah they're going to create a Rialto where it is here are two screens yeah you're in big palatial seats it's we're only showing two films yeah and the only way to see this Star Wars film is here the, uh, the what they're going to do then is they're going to start saying well a lot of these other films we need to push they can have smaller theater releases, but yeah. we're going to push them at the same time to home. And I think I think the Academy within it's they're going to be slow to react. It's going to be 10 to 15 years, but they're eventually going to say, you know what? You don't have to have a theatrical release. Right. I, I think you've hit something there because, you know, it's quantity versus quality versus quantity. I think if you do have a two two screen theater. You do it big and you do it and you do it the best you can. You do it the best that anybody does in the area. And whether that's reclining seats or good food or clever slides that you show prior to it, um, that's where the energy needs to be spent. Not you know, Alamo does a great job with that. I want to say that they yeah. actually will show classic trailers yeah. as you're sitting down. And that's so much fun. Yeah. You walk in and here's this place that reveres the history of cinema so much that they're showing sometimes cheesy trailers, but you're seeing them. Yeah. And it keeps this idea that you're seeing something bigger than just the release. Right. And, and and it reminds me uh, when the times we've gone to see the the Star Wars movies there they always have the uh, old toy commercials yes. from Kenner 
that were on TV. And that's, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's where you're, you know, you already, you've got me engaged. I'm feeling relaxed. I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating the show. I'm excited and, uh, overall creates that memorable experience. But I think today, you know, we've discussed a lot, but I think, you know, basically Hollywood needs to catch up. Netflix needs to continue to do what they're doing because they're turning out good good content and and at times stuff that should be considered for an Oscar, not because of the screen it was shown on or wasn't shown on or what it was filmed with, but because they're putting together, you know, Mudbound. I, I, I promise you, if we could if we could use the men in black thing and, and, and flashy everybody real quick and show them that film, you probably could get some pretty predominant people in Hollywood's just to go right along with the fact that it was shot and meant for cinema a hundred percent, because that's the way it came across uh, to me. I mean, it, it does nothing about that says Netflix, nothing about that says, um, you know, trying to cut corners and, and find an easier way to get out. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a true film of films. Um, you know, and it I holds think that if way. we would eradicate the whole, discussion of what Spielberg was saying that these things deserve Emmys not Oscars if you we would get away from this award garbage yeah then this conversation would be moot and we would understand that in this day and age content is consumed it doesn't matter whether you're watching on a phone a pad a projector in a theater people want content Netflix is winning the game hands down because they put things out that blur these lines they it's it's either good television or it's good filmmaking period and they're winning. Well said. And I think that's a good place to close it out today. Um, good conversation, Todd. Yes. Uh, thanks again for your time. Um, real quick before we leave, let's do some, what do we call it? Uh, house items, honeydew list. I don't know. Um, obviously you're listening to the other kind radio right now. So we appreciate that, but we want to let you know there are other ways to listen besides on our website or, um, uh, going to SoundCloud. Um, we are available um, on iTunes. And um, you can go in and just do a search. Just go into iTunes. Um, do a search for The Other Kind Radio. We're under podcasts. Um, and you can subscribe. So when new episodes come out, which we're trying to do on a weekly basis, then um, you'll uh, be notified. You can get in there and spend some time with Todd and I. Um, also, besides subscribing... I would love it if we could, just like Todd made his, his uh, request last week for his book, I would love for us to get some ratings on Apple. So if you do listen via via iTunes, take a moment and be honest. I'm, I'm not asking for five stars. I'm not asking for, for you know, any, any particular. Just feel free to give us an honest opinion uh, of how you feel. And, and, of course, you always can contact us at info at theotherkindradio.com. If you have something you want to say, something something I say, something Todd says, uh, get you get you fired up. You want to you want to fire something off? Please do. Uh, we plan on doing this for quite some time, and uh, nothing adds uh, to the uh, pure enjoyment and uh, velvetiness of doing a podcast than uh, getting feedback from the listeners and, and letting us know what's on your mind. Um, <laughs> Todd, <laughs> Todd just remind me. Uh, BS uh, rate us high. We need good reviews. So yeah, forget what I said. Um, also we're on Twitter and I'm, I'm Todd's a Twitter guy. He, and I'm learning how to tweet. Um, 
So I'll continue to try to put some stuff on there, but you can subscribe to us. We're at, at TOK Radio. The TOK stands for The Other Kind Radio. Um, and we'll try to give you some heads up. And, and uh, also, I'm trying to go and get familiar with some other podcasts. Maybe Todd and I will do a show down the road uh, kind of uh, suggesting uh, other podcasts to listen to because uh, that's a good way to, to kind of broaden uh, some of the subject matter. Uh, subject matter and as well as uh we get to uh, get to hear some other people that are doing good good content out there um so next week we i believe what we're going to do next week is we are going to todd and i are going to independently select some audio clips from movies and then test each other to Try and see if we can identify the movie. Bonus points for director and any other credit, which that's where Todd's going to just kick my butt. But um, we're going to, we're the next couple shows due to scheduling and whatnot, we're going to try and make sure you get something every week, but they may just be a little shorter uh, in length. But we're going to look at doing that next week. We'll do a, a showdown of sound clips and who can identify what film from what clip. I'm sure it'll be fun and shenanigans. So before we end things, I'll throw it your way, Todd. Last thoughts, anything you want to say? You know, every time we do this, I enjoy talking, but somehow this is rather passionate in my soul right now. So great choice of topics this week, Jeff. I, I really enjoyed it. You often give me all these accolades for knowing what I know, and my wife would call it useless information, but I appreciate your <laughs> accolades. But Jeff, you're no slack yourself. So great conversation. I enjoy your friendship. I enjoy doing this and I can't wait till next week when we try to stump each other. That will be fun. And thank you for saying that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a group effort. Um, we're learning, you know, this is going to be our eighth show. I mean, we haven't even done 10 shows yet. And that's kind of something that really, uh, rattles my brain when I think about where we are now and where we're going to be on our hundredth show and what that'll sound like. And, and we can go back and, and listen to our se our seventh or eighth show and be like, Oh my God. Wow. All right. <laughs> where we are now, but Look you know, I, I can't wait to do that. Yes, yes, yes. All right, folks. Um, I'm not really going to add anything else. I think Todd summed it all up. Uh, we're, we're, we're running out of time. Once again, we've taken an hour and a half of your life. So, uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, please feel free to subscribe, Twitter, all that good stuff. And, uh, just remember that if your software doesn't work, when you're trying to play something, then you have to uh, pretend that everything's working. And then you have to remember you have to turn the volume up. The other it's always a learning experience, folks. <laughs> Thanks the again for joining us. Radio. We'll see you next week. We are The Other Kind the Radio. The Other Kind Radio. The other kind of radio talk radio. The other kind of radio talk radio.